Hey everyone, welcome to part two of our interview we're calling After Show. Now before we get into the interview, we have two important announcements to make. First, the last episode of season three of Aftermath, episode 38, titled Earthshine, will be releasing at midnight on Wednesday, December 21st. Now typically we drop new episodes on Mondays, but as you all probably know by now, we're very influenced by the band Rush, so we wanted to drop the episode on 2112, which this year is Wednesday, December 21st. So again, the last episode of this season will release on Wednesday, December 21st, and trust us, you do not want to miss the season three finale. Secondly, we'd like to ask for your help. The support Fire Pit Creative Group has received from our friends and listeners has been humbling. And we want to continue producing Aftermath in the years to come, and we hope to reach and inspire as many listeners as possible. To that end, we have launched a crowdfunding campaign on Indiegogo to help us keep Aftermath going. Like many other content creators, Aftermath is not our day job. In addition to working, raising families, and participating in our communities, we put our time into creating Aftermath. And simply put, we need money to ensure we can continue producing it and increase the number of people we reach. Any contribution you can make will help Fire Pit Creative Group offset production costs, improve the quality of our recordings, and provide us funds to advertise Aftermath to increase our audience size. As we gain more listeners, we may be able to offer more Aftermath-related content and merchandise. And of course, if you contribute, you could get rewards based on your level of contribution, including a shout-out from us on our website and social media, and digital copies of Aftermath transcripts. Also, a limited number of contributors will get signed copies of two Aftermath transcripts, signed prints by Fire Pit Creative Group's Warren Davis, and virtual hangout time with Fire Pit Creative Group. And if you can't contribute, we completely understand. You can still help us, though, by sharing the link to the fundraiser to your friends and family and sharing Aftermath with like-minded individuals who enjoy similar entertainment. Also, if you haven't already, by rating our podcast and by liking us on our social media platforms. A link to the campaign on Indiegogo is in the description section of this episode. We appreciate your support and anything you may be able to contribute. Without further ado, here is part two of our interview with our friend Sam Ashu. Fair enough. Fair enough. So tell me then, anyone who has role played before knows that there's always some aspect of your personality that comes through in a role playing character. Which character in the original role playing game was yours, Warren? So I was Dr. Bath. And I think in a lot of ways, I, I created that character uh, with a particular idea in mind about what the campaign was going to be like. And as things developed and changed, we learned more about both the Phoenix Project world and the surface world. It was not what I thought. And really, in a lot of ways, and, and Cole can elaborate if he wants, but in a lot of ways, it brought out some of the worst parts of my personality in working with other people. And, and so, to some extent, I think that and in writing for that character and writing for how the other characters relate to that character, it gives me an opportunity to, I wouldn't say reimagine the character because his weaknesses and his flaws are all there. I think at the beginning and some of them continue, but 
I made him a bit more easier to accept as the story goes along. And then Cole, which one was your character? My character was Cuddy. And, you know, Rhett told me this idea and I had pretty steadily played multiple different role-playing games for in, in the few years leading up to, uh, to 2112. And I had spent a lot of time really trying to create these deep characters with these tangled backstories and internal conflicts. And I would just kind of burn out by it, you know, because <laughs> it takes a lot if you're taking a game seriously to, to do all that stuff. And I kind of just wanted somebody who was pretty much just straightforward. And I thought, you know what, law enforcement in a bunker trying to help keep the peace for 3000 people because he genuinely believes that what he's doing is for the benefit of the last remaining survivors on the planet was my path to, for lack of a better term, a, a, a kind of a black and white character that was complicated immediately by John Bath. Our first interaction in the game was different than the first interaction between Bath and Cuddy in Aftermath. But that tension was already there because as the character, I kind of viewed John Bath as being obtuse and unnecessarily antagonistic. And it just kind of went from there. But yeah, I just, I wanted something simple and something easy. And thankfully the campaign and the characters around me forced Cuddy and forced my interpretation of Cuddy to become more complex as the story progressed, which I was thankful for in hindsight. Yeah, Cole, one of the things I remember, I, I like that you use the term antagonistic. I think in the game and something that translated really well in the audio fiction is that Cuddy and Bath are both right around the same age. I think Cuddy might be a little bit older. Maybe he might have been, I, I, I don't remember, he might have been born on the surface and have been an infant in the Phoenix Project. But either way, they're both right around the same age. They come from different backgrounds, and they both view the other one as the antagonist. So Cuddy thinks Bath is just this do-nothing academic, and, and Bath thinks Cuddy is a know-nothing bully. And so they view both in, in the surroundings, in the world that they know. They think of each other as the antagonist. And then is a compliment to your to the the kind of character that you created and i think also the way you so excellently portray cuddy in cuddy's voice you obviously know cuddy's voice real well as he's a man of action and so he is happy to follow the general's lead or to take charge if he needs to and bath is both below in the phoenix project and on the surface he's just kind of trying to find his way He's kind of trying to find, like, how will he be useful uh, in the decaying world of the surface and maybe the already decayed underground as it kind of falls apart with the dissidents and every everything else. So then that leaves us with General Castro. That would have been Willem's character. The fact that Willem's not here. Have you seen that same kind of growth in his character? You know, so far we've had 34 episodes and we've been introduced to the general we know a little bit more about his backstory. We're just starting to scratch the surface about what his role is going to be within the Phoenix Project moving forward and in their kind of enlightenment for their current scenario. Have you seen that kind of character growth in him? And do you see that kind of dynamic with him and the other two? 
Yeah. The characters writing that I've been most impressed by is definitely Castro. Warren has really done a good job of taking what Willem created and putting it into writing. And there has been an evolution because we, one of our fans told us one time that he really liked Castro because Castro is the only person really in the project who, well, not the only person, but he's the only character in our story that we get close up time with who has been on both sides of this timeline. He was there heavily involved when the world went to hell and he's now involved in, for lack of a better word, the aftermath of that happening. And I think Castro's inner monologues have really shown how much he's growing as a character right now at the time of this recording. We just released earlier today, episode 35, where there's a very significant scene with General Castro where his growth has come full circle. This is one of those moments that Warren referred to earlier where this is what one of those ones that we wanted to see. So I think it's been fascinating for me as somebody who played the campaign. I feel like Warren has done Castro really a lot of justice and Willem's contributions when Willem has written certain speeches and scenes involving Castro that have been really, really well done. So I would say it's my favorite character perspective of the story. So I I think just riffing off what you said there, Cole, I think one of the things Willem being absent here, it was known to us from the outset that Castro was going to kind of be the leader. But he's actually, of all of the characters, he's the one who had the richest backstory from the beginning. He knew the most about the project and he knew the most about what was going on on the surface. I think that translates to the story, to the audio fiction. In the beginning episodes, there's elements of, or there's parts of his, his memory that are missing and he starts to piece them together. And with some help, his, I think his memory is pretty much restored. At least his personality is restored. And in the beginning episodes, it was pretty easy for me to write the Castro character pretty much as channeling Willem's uh, depiction of the character and trying to do justice to what Rhett and Willem had crafted for that character. But I think Cole did a lot of things in his rendering of Castro's thought processes, like the way Cole read Castro's thoughts and how Castro speaks and some of the inner encounters he had by himself, they sort of upped the ante a little bit. And so when we got to some of these more pivotal scenes with Castro, particularly him speaking to Devenu, his encounters with Ganaya and his observations of the Phoenix Project, I had to turn to Willem and say, I really want to do this justice. How about you write the dialogue of Castro here and I'll write everything around it. And in some way, that's kind of like going back to square one where we were doing the audio drama style in the beginning. But now that we've really got a handle on this story, this world, the themes, the characters, it only made sense to, to ask Willem, hey, script this in the voice of General Castro and I'll take care of the rest. And he's really stepped up and and helped me out in a couple places. You know, otherwise you'd have 14 minutes of pretty strong material and then some maybe some clunky material in there and willem has helped to fill that gap in some places so really is a collaborative project 
And uh, going back to what Cole said about how pastor character resonates with listeners, I think that's meant to be because he's a person from our world. He's lived in our time, actually, is an older gentleman at the point that the story starts having been cryogenically frozen. But he's like us. He's, you know, we're seeing the world through his eyes and his experience and the, the way he relays what should be to the other characters in the Phoenix Project inspires them to, if it's Cuddy, to seek action, and if it's Bath, to try to obtain more information. So I think a lot of that is a blend of, in my opinion, it's a blend of Cole's narrative expertise and Willem's knowledge of that character. And then, of course, we have the Shadow Council and the Central Processor, right? Two of my favorite groups of characters just because they're shrouded in so much mystery. Those characters we're still learning about even now in episode 35, as you mentioned, just went out today. But even there, we're just starting to get a little introduction into who these people are and what their roles actually are. I'm intrigued to hear what you guys think of those characters. These were all inspired by Rhett's original campaign, or are you also growing and developing them as individual characters? Will we see more from them soon? So the only thing I want to say about that, again, let, you know, lest I reveal too much, and then I'll punt it over to Cole, is I like, Sam, that you, that you identify the Shadow Council and the central processor as two separate characters. These are two ideas that the idea of having artificial intelligence maintain and run a society, that's not something that we came up with. It is something that's becoming more and more likely as we approach the imminent future. But those aren't, you know, totally off the wall ideas, actually. And I think they were easy to accept in the way Rent laid them out in provided them to us in the story. But as time went on, I think as is only natural, the main characters, Castro, Cuddy, and Bath, wanted to know more and more about their phantom controllers, the council and the computer. And we all had uh, a handful of, of, of conversations about the plausibility of the society being run by faceless masters who consult a computer. And the thing that still resonates with me that is exclusively, I think, from Rhett's vision, and you're going to, you're starting to see it unfold a little bit in this, this latest season, is that the computer was developed to be benevolent, to make good decisions, and the society was structured to last a lot longer than 40 to 60 years. It was designed to last more like a thousand years. And so one of the things that I think is important is you're starting to see, or at the beginning of the story with the actions of the dissidents and, and sort of some of those stirrings, you're seeing people revolt and push back against their faceless masters much earlier or you're seeing it happen simultaneously with the breakdown of some other things in this in this society. And so as we continue, I would ask re- re- listeners to keep that that in mind. Is that the the society and the computer were designed to be benevolent and not to be an overarching force 
like you see in some of the popular dystopian fiction like 1984 or Yevgeny Zan's We or some of those other things. And to me, that's really hard to accept. But that's one of the things that Rent, as the creator, the world creator, if you will, really wants us to accept, tried to honor that by having Devenu and Chang and Ganaya and Colonel Marsh and other characters. They all accept that. Now, the one person that, that wholeheartedly does not accept that is, is Gabriel Princip. And so we're seeing him do some things behind the scenes. And I'm going to stop there because I, <laughs> I'm going to put a picket right there. <laughs> we're seeing him do some things behind the scenes. Fair enough. I find it interesting that the, the emphasis there is on the benevolence of the Shadow Council and the central processor because really... Like the way the characters are portrayed, the shadow council being in the shadows, being faceless, being without specific identities and more or less behind the scenes does kind of have that air of maybe not such a benevolent presence, like the Wizard of Oz in yeah. the background pulling the strings and piping the smoke in and making the loud sounds, ultimately making the decisions without any input from anyone else and kind of a forced acceptance in the Phoenix project of their decision-making. So that's an interesting spin. And I'll have to keep that in mind when I, when I listen from now on. Yeah. And even I forget it sometimes that that was the original intention because it, their voices are disguised. They had to rename themselves the Phoenix Council because they wanted something that sounded less nefarious than Shadow Council. As Warren said, there are some things happening with Gabriel Princip, who is doing things to, he's doing his own things to influence certain people and certain decision makers. So yeah, I think that's probably going to shock a lot of listeners, that revelation that the council and the computer were, are not intended to be evil or pulling the wool over anybody's eyes really in, in a way that I think some listeners may, may think. But don't worry, because I, I forget about that too sometimes. Okay, and then we have a little bit of time left. I just want to talk about briefly all the other things involved in the audio fiction. So there is the reading from Cole. There, there are the effects on the voices, but then there is music associated with the episodes. There are drawings associated with each of the episodes that are posted on the website. Where does all this extra material come from? All the music that you hear is original compositions by Warren. All the artwork you see are original drawings by Warren. The only thing that you hear in the episodes that are not created by us are the sound effects. The sound effects we get off of primarily off of a website called freesound.org. And if you look at all the episode descriptions, you'll see that there are credits and links to all the sound effects that we use. So I have to give a shout out to all the people who generously put those up on freesound.org and allow us to use them, the production of our, our story. But the artwork and the music that you hear in the opening theme, the closing credits, and all the artwork on the website is all created by, by Warren. So Warren, while you're creating these things, are you keeping in mind the specific episode for which you're creating it? Or is this just stemming from you know, a, a general sense of what Aftermath is all about, and then you're plugging them into episodes just haphazardly. So usually I'm drawing, like, the artwork that appears on our social media accounts 
particularly Instagram and also our website, aftermathpodcast.net. Most of those images are drawn concurrent with writing the episode or right around the time the episode is going to air. So most of the time I'm, I'm able to stay like, it's just a matter of inspiration, but like anything I think that, that is a, a visceral enough scene that it needs a cartoon or, or a picture or whatever, I'll start working on it while I'm writing the episode or I'll start working on it right around the time the episode is going to drop on Spotify and iHeartRadio and everywhere else. It is notable, of course, that for those who, who listen or watch the episodes on YouTube, um, I think much of the artwork appears there. And Willem is the one who does all the video editing. So he'll take the artwork that I make and try to adapt appropriate artwork to the YouTube videos. So that's, that's, that's all him. That's cool. Okay, so we are currently in season three. Is that right? Correct. And this particular season is slated for how many more episodes before season end? Yeah, so at the time of this recording, we just released episode 35. We have three episodes left until this season ends. So 36 will be on December 5th. 37 will be on December 12th. And then the 38th episode, the final episode of this season, will be on December 21st in line with 2112. So it will be a Wednesday drop instead of a Monday drop. Awesome. And just to be clear, there is plenty more story to come. So there is intent to continue the season four and then hopefully many others beyond. Is that right? That's our intention at this point. We, we at least know that we have at least one or two probably in the can, but really it's about fan reaction and demand. But yeah, there's still plenty of story left to tell for Aftermath. We, we don't want to commit to a certain number, but there's still a ways to go. And I know that it takes a massive amount of time per episode. And this is all currently volunteer time for the beauty of the making of audio fiction. But at some point, is there a method that all of us who are enjoying this can support you financially? Is that planned for the future at some point, whether that's donating to the cause or, I don't know, t-shirts, swag? Is there a plan for, for monetizing so that we can help support the cause and keep the episodes coming? Yeah, I'd appreciate, again, the kind words and the desire to, to help us out. And you did hit the nail on the head. You know, this is kind of a, a labor of love, but it's not our day jobs, right? <laughs> because we don't currently make any money off of it, but we are going to be, and I'm not sure if it will be live at the time that this episode is released, but we are going to be creating an Indiegogo for crowdfunding. So that's our, in our immediate future, we'll be creating a campaign where people can make donations to Indiegogo to us, and that will help do several things for us. It will help offset the cost of website hosting. It will help offset the cost of actually getting the podcast distributed. We're hosted via Buzzsprout, which distributes our podcast to all of the major platforms. There's a cost to that, obviously. And then we want to also be able to advertise Aftermath on other podcasts, other audio fictions to try to get more ears and eyes on the product, which would hopefully allow us to 
make more content. And so if you contribute to this Indiegogo, there's several perks and benefits based on how much you contribute. You don't have to contribute more than $5, but you know there will be several different levels where you'll get items for donating, shout outs on our website, digital copies of transcripts, signed original copies of a couple of the episodes, episode one and episode 38, the higher donations will also, and there will be a limited amount of these, will get signed original prints and artwork, again, that were created by Warren. And then at the highest tier, we'll include all of that, plus the opportunity to have an hour-long virtual meeting with uh, at least me and Warren and Willem and Red, if they decide they want to participate with Fire Pit Creative Group. And hopefully that leads into more stuff down the road where we can start selling t-shirts and we can start selling more merch and stuff like that. But this will be our way to hopefully get Aftermath out there to more people, see where it goes from there. Oh, I, I can't wait. And I'd just like to add that as we started off the interview where I was talking about the wealth of ideas that this group of people had going into the Aftermath, sharing the Aftermath story with uh, listeners We've also got ideas for other products, comics, cartoons, books, possibly a, a YouTube series. We're just trying to find the best way and the most economical way to bring those other ideas via Fire Pit Creative Group to the public in addition to keeping Aftermath alive as long as possible. So any support for Aftermath helps us realize those other products as well. So. We hope folks will give us their kind consideration and support us. Like, give us the likes, give us the constructive criticism via our email site, things like that. Because from the beginning, this has been a do-it-yourself grassroots project. And we appreciate interaction with fans, the opportunity to do things like this interview, give a peek behind the scenes, but also to find out the kinds of things that people like that we're doing and what works. And that really keeps us, keeps this alive and keeps us going. All right. Final question. How much money does one have to donate to do a cameo as the janitor for the Phoenix project on one of the episodes? <laughs> <laughs> I want to be that guy. I want to be like Humperdinck, the guy sweeping the floor as general <laughs> Castro is walking by, just kind of looks at him and goes, huh? And that's it. That's just like the one remark. <laughs> like, are you talking, have I your th- name be the janitor or like you jump in and actually say it's your voice? Oh, no, no. I want it to be you? my voice for the guy oh. that's like, okay, and Q. And I go, <laughs> huh. And that's it. I think you've already passed the, this was your audition. This was it. That's right. On the mic. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think you've paid the fee to hosting a podcast for us, uh, allows you to get huh in there. Now, if you want to <laughs> give a monologue or something, we may have to talk. But yeah, that's right. That's just another way to monetize. So, there you, go. you know, Will Farrell, I know you're listening out there, but if you want to be on this podcast, you too can make a donation and get a cameo and get your name in the credits. E- episode 40A, the janitor. <laughs> the janitor. 40B, 40B, the janitor. Awesome. Well, hey, thank you both for taking the time to do the behind the scenes kind of Q&A. I know I really appreciate all of this and it just helps kind of pull me in deeper into the world of Aftermath. And it's fantastic. I really want to encourage you to keep up the good work. It has been amazing. I love listening to it. And really, as soon as I hear that intro song cue up, I'm just like transported into another world. I love it. 
I love every minute of it. Well, thank you, Sam. We appreciate you moderating this and also all your support. It, uh, it means a lot to us. Yeah, we'll do it. We'll do it again sometime.